to procreate. Don't, don't wait, don't wait. Yeah, you gotta wait. mate. So don't wait, don't. mate. Procreate. Oh, the dragonfly, yeah, he's no fool. Yeah, he's got a primitive tool, but it's not what you'd expect. No, he uses it to grab her around the neck and together they fly around the pond until she is ready to respond. For all she has to do is hesitate to signal the willingness to mate. So don't, don't. wait, don't wait. Yeah, you gotta don't mate. Wait. So don't wait, don't, don't wait to procreate. Don't, don't wait, don't wait. Yeah, you gotta don't mate. Wait. So don't wait, mate. Procreate. And then she'll flip upside down so her smile becomes a frown and touch his second segment for there he's in a little present and from this tiny berm she'll extract a pouch full of sperm and then her eggs will be fertilized for that's how we all are realized so don't wait don't wait yeah you gotta make so don't wait don't wait to procreate don't wait don't wait yeah you gotta make so don't wait mate Procreate. procreate. No one else does this but the dragonfly. And scientists still haven't figured out why. But they've been doing it long before there were even dinosaurs. dinosaurs. So don't wait, don't wait. wait. Yeah, you gotta oh, make. So don't, don't wait, wait, don't wait to procreate. Don't, don't wait, don't wait. Yeah, you gotta don't make. Wait. So don't wait, mate. Procreate. procreate. I say don't, don't wait, mate. Procreate.
just wanted you guys to have a chance to sit, ponder that, uh, <laughs> that MIDI real quick. What? When I asked for a uh, Pearl Jam MIDI, I didn't mean their, their crappy cover song. Yeah, it's the only one I could find. Oh, okay. I knew that's not what you meant. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, let's see. Uh, you've been listening to the Maximum Summer Show. We're about to take off. Here's what you've been hearing. Uh, Sebado with Level Anything, is that right? Or Level Everything. Level Everything, yeah. Yeah, I think some, it's anything. Some Sebado song. Yeah. You don't care. Yeah. Uh, wait, here we go. Level Anything. You were right the first time. Woo! Woo! Listen to stuff falling all over. Before that, uh, Nikki McClure with Procreate. Before that, uh, the Jesus Lizard with I Can Learn. Before that, Carp with Connect 5. Before that, The Rentals with My Summer Girl. Before that, uh, Mud Honey with No Song 3. And before that, uh, The Butthole Surfers with Who Was In My Room Last Night. Uh, Living Writers is up next, so stay tuned. Um, you know, never stop listening. Uh, keep earbuds in at all times. When you die, get, get a radio installed in your coffin. Exactly. Uh, we got time for one more. Uh... Codeine, uh, pickup song is what you're going to hear. Um, talk to you later. Bye. Man, I need some beer. <laughs>
Local Music Show is a very cool show that happens every Wednesday night from 9 to 11 p.m. right here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Every week we have a live band performing in the studio that's from around here. And we'll even play your band on the show if you send us your CD. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 for the Local Music Show. I'm into basketball. I'm really into art. I'm into photography. I'm into the environment. I'm into hanging out. Are you into it? Well, here's your chance to find out. Get involved with the volunteer program for kids who care. You can participate in whatever you're into, hang with your buds, and help the community at the same time. So, are you into it? If you are, then give 4-H a call toll-free at 1-888-77-YOUTH for more info, or check out our website at www.areyouintoit.com. I'm into everything. A public service message brought to you by 4-H, the Cooperative Extension System, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne. For many years, you know, I've had a drink problem and I'm, I'm trying to battle that problem every single day. But one thing I don't do, I don't drive my car when I'm drinking. I get someone to drive me. Do not drink and drive. It's the stupidest thing. If you drink, just don't drive. Not only are you going to hurt yourself, you may hurt some other person, and you wouldn't want that on your conscience, would you? A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. This is Emmy Lou Harris inviting you to tune in to the Down Home Show every Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. There's a valley of sorrow in my soul where every night I hear the thunder roll like the sound of a distant. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers today on the program. I'm so pleased to have Jay Platt sitting here in the studio with me. Jay from Westside Bookshop on Liberty uh, here in grand old Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> or ye older. <laughs> ye oldie, right? Yes. Uh, well, Jay, welcome. Thanks for being on the program. Well, today. thank you for asking me, T. Yeah. And um, maybe we could start by, um, would you mind telling us a little bit about the, the history of of the bookshop? Because um, when I was looking online, it seems like, and I've, I've spoken with you at the shop about a little bit of the history, but I'd love to hear more. Uh, you began it in 1975. Right. Didn't you? Yeah. Yes, we did. We opened it. Uh, well, actually, there's a little backstory Let's behind get that. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got started, I, I, I discovered books, I mean, books as book selling, 
probably in about 1971, and a friend and I were in New York City, and we were visiting a couple of used bookshops. And when this is back in the days of the old Fourth Avenue bookshops, and uh, we went in, and he asked for a book that I'd never heard of before. And the bookseller went—I mean, he must have had a hundred thousand books. He went right back in some corner upstairs to get it. And I he said, knew exactly. He knew right where it was. And I wondered how did he do that. And now I know because a bookseller tends to know their books. So that really got me started. And shortly after, I got a job in a textbook store. But at the same time, I was starting to collect books myself and learning about the book trade, the antiquarian book trade. Um, so right from the beginning, you had an interest in older books. Because when you said yes. you, you discovered books, like what does that well, mean? And what could you mind telling us like what age you were, like what sort of had led well, up to that been, moment? Had you been to, had, did you go to college or did yes. you, you know, like what sort of... Well, we go back a few more years okay, then. Because when you say you discovered book selling, well, like, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I came, came to school here in 1963 in naval architecture and ship design. And this, the university here is one of the few programs in naval architecture. It's part of the engineering school. And I like boats and like sailing and I've always have. And I like I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, but decided to come. And, but we spent summers in Michigan. So I always pictured Michigan was like the UP, but discovered Ann Arbor wasn't quite like that. And actually, I'd never been to Ann Arbor after I got here as a freshman, never seen the campus before. I mean, I guess people didn't travel to schools as often as they do now. Yeah, there was no school visits. (laughs) uh, And, uh, but I got my degree, graduated in 1968, but then really decided the 60s being the 60s, that that's not what I really wanted to do. And Ann Arbor was a much different place in the 60s, wasn't it? There were were opportunities for other pursuits. (laughs) Revolutionary in other ways. Yes. And I traveled around a bit. And anyway, uh, and then I worked at the model, ship model testing tank for, oh, about a year or so. But it was just something to do. Uh, I mean, I still like boats and still like sailing. And I still kind of miss the old department. But... I, Ann Arbor, I had a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different things. There was a lot of cultural activities, and I was lucky to be able to participate in a lot of that. Um, but really discovering the book trade, I guess, as an occupation, that goes from about 1970, 70, 71. So I was maybe... What was I, 26 and 27? And you were naturally already collecting books, you said. So you went to yeah, New York I and just, you saw like the, the, the older bookshops, and that's yeah. when that moment struck you. Yes. It was like turning on a light bulb and saying, that's what I, <laughs> and I, it was, you know, that's what I would really want to do. How, it was like, and it was like a real revelation. And so I've been doing it ever since. You're, you're Joycey and Epiphany. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. And how did you decide then to to start to make Ann Arbor your base? Was it because you were already here or you had come to love the town or, or Well, what yeah, how did you pick yes. here? Well, I had I actually the first year I was here I hated Ann Arbor. <laughs> I was going to transfer back to Virginia and you know, but then I stuck it out one more year and I'm still here. So I love Ann Arbor. <laughs> and uh when I opened a shop, I it was partly I had a friend who had uh, sold a house and he had some money. He said, you want to open up, open up a bookstore? And I really didn't have any money at the time. He put up some cash. I put up some books, which I'd been accumulating. And um, we borrowed a little money from the bank and built some shelves and opened 
opened in September of 1975. Actually, the building that I'm in, which is 113 West Liberty, uh, was originally a bookstore when it was built in the 1880s, its first use. Uh, but that building at, in the early 70s was uh, willed to the city by the family that owned it, and they were going to tear it down to expand that parking lot uh, behind the shop. Now I was horrified. I, yes. I saw that online today. <laughs> and they were, oh. luckily, they were stopped. They used it, that building for the Ann Arbor Sesquicentennial headquarters in 1974, and then they put the building up for sale. And I even actually looked at that building thinking of putting in a bookstore there. And they were it was a closed auction. And I think it went for like $45,000. And I seemed like a lot at the time. <laughs> now it, uh, yes. <laughs> it was quite a bargain. I wish I was able to buy it. But fortunately, the people that did, uh, we put up a sign saying commercial space for rent. And the die was cast. <laughs> and, and is it still the same, the couple, Joseph and Carolyn Arcura? Yes, they still yes. own the building. And they live, live upstairs still. They did still. for a number oh, of years, but now they've moved down to New Mexico and rent out the upstairs. But uh, they've been wonderful landlords and have kept me in business. <laughs> they, <laughs> where was your first location then, No, Jay? that was it. That was the first. Oh, that it's was al- literally, it's always been, it's always you've been always there. been there. You yes. Didn't, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. And... Uh, Anyway, after a couple of years, I bought out my, he was my business partner, and I've owned it ever since. And then since I've hired some employees, and then Doug Price, who works with me, handles, we deal in, uh, we have a gallery in the back of the shop with a lot of the Edward S. Curtis uh, American Indian photographs. And Doug's been with me for over 25 years. So. Over 25 years. Yeah. And and so how did you feel that that would be a good match, having the, the art? The, well, it wasn't. The, it's art, really, isn't yes, it? Yes, it wasn't my idea. Doug came in one day and said, just walked in out of the blue and said, I'd like, I really like your shop. I'd like to maybe put up some, try to sell some Curtis photographs through the shop. And I said, fine. And, he, and I, we went out to lunch, uh, made a deal shook hands, and that's what we've operated with ever since. And so he said it's, he has his own business within the shop, dealing primarily in the uh, Edward S. Curtis photographs. Yes, and if you go, um, it's it's sort of once you, you go through the shop into the back room, that's where most of the, yes. the photos are, are up on the walls, and, and there's lovely old typewriters. Yes, in Doug, that Doug room collects typewriters and, and he uses them. We. They, Nothing wrong with a good solid typewriter. Oh my gosh, good for the good for the heart, I think. <laughs> yes. And and so what's amazing too is that it's it's almost as if you're walking into a secret gallery of sorts. Like I think your your shop itself and then the Doug Price's mm. um Edward S. Curtis yeah. uh pictures. It's like a it's it's like a wonderful museum and shop and gallery. All rolled into one. Yes. And and do you well, have people when they come in? Do they ever? Do you sort of watch their faces? Is there some sort of? I'm imagining wonderment. <laughs> yes. Well, it often happens. People come in. Well, hopefully it happens. <laughs> Sometimes people look and get a blank look on their face and go out. <laughs> but more often, hopefully, they appreciate it for what it is. And it is. I mean, I, I don't like it. I don't like to term museum so much. No. Because it really is a. <laughs> But a lot of people think of it as that. As well, I say, this is the way the book business runs. 
Yes. Or the way it should run, let's put it that way. Yes, well, and you also have a presence on the web. So you do online book selling, and you have a separate a warehouse, too. No, I don't right? have oh. a warehouse anymore, but I do sell a little bit. It's really a very small part of the business, So, but I do have—but we don't put the books in the shop online. So when people come in the shop, these are books that are not— Posted that and, are in a separate location or downstairs. And these are your uh, your your favorites. It seems like you've always c- cared for books. The books that are in the shop, they're they're first editions. Oh, they're yeah. they're different. What are some of the specialties? Because I I see that you're like a polar expedition specialist, right? Among other things. <laughs> oh yes. Well, I mean the shop is very general. I mean we carry books and all different subjects and and paperbacks we have a room full of paperbacks all the way up to some fairly expensive first editions and rare books but i do one of the things i do specialize in are books on the arctic and antarctic and uh, i did a number i've done about 30 catalogs though i haven't done one recently um, but I've done about 30 catalogs in that area. And when you say catalog, does that mean, a what does that printed, mean? A printed catalog, a, a list of the books. So uh, all available books in, in the world as you can find them? No, I mean books that I have. Oh, that books I'm, that you have. Oh, they're, okay. they're for, for sale catalogs. Oh, and, uh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Forgive me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's a, you know, um, so, so but, that is one of the, the, the strengths of the shop. Is it why did that become one of your specialties? Well, I'm not really sure how I got started in that, but I've always been interested in odd places, faraway places, and the cold regions just struck me. Because uh, have you been then, Jay? No, I never yeah. have. Never have, never been farther north in Canada, southern Canada. <laughs> <laughs> So you were thinking the UP was but I like cold to read enough about it. Yeah, that's fine. But do you have any plans to go then? Oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to see the Antarctic at some point. Everyone I know that's been down there, and I know people that have gone down, said it's more beautiful than any picture. Can, you can't describe how beautiful ice is and the color and light and Could, things like that. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? And it probably the depth isn't, you can't probably um, get that from seeing the pictures. Right. So you'll have no. to go. Yes. Well, maybe by the end of the program we'll be... You'll have come up with a tour date. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And send us a postcard. Okay, we're going to take a short break. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers today. Jay Platt from Westside Bookshop. We'll be back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today, Jay Platt from Westside Bookshop, 113 West Liberty. Um, and we were just also talking about Doug Doug Price, um, 
he couldn't join us today at the table because he's working at the shop, yes. right, Jay? So it's there's it's um it's a dedicated operation mm-hmm. there, right? So so tell us, like you've been there now. We've established since 1975. So what are some of what are some of the moments in the history of the shop? Well, there are a couple I've, I've, I've just recently th- just thought of. And, and the first one, uh, back, oh, this would have been probably the early 1980s, I got a call on a collection uh, from a, a gentleman named Hans Kurath. And he was a, he worked on the Middle English Dictionary here for a number of years, but he also collected books on dialects. And he was, that was his, also his main interest was the study of different dialects. So I bought his collection. I mean, there must have been a thousand books on different dialects all over the world, and put them in the shop. I didn't know where I was going to put so them. So he all. called you because he wanted to sell yeah, you I think his it was collection. His wife, I think, Is he it? had died, and oh, I so, see. but uh, it was his collection, and I put it in the office, my office, which was now now the paperback room in the shop. <laughs> but then I it was an office. And I had this big pile of them, and within about a week, a guy came in, a guy named Robert Easton. And he's an actor, a Hollywood actor, more of a character actor. You'd probably recognize him in films from the 50s and maybe 60s he did. But he, his specialty was dialects, and he also taught dialects. He came in the shop and asked if I had any books on dialects. And I said, well, I just happened to have a whole pile of them. He <laughs> bought almost all of them. And, he and said that, that's a, a thousand dream. books. He knew about the collection. He said, I've been dreaming about buying this collection. So he bought it, and I thought, just to, that coincidence, that, that you know, how that happened was just amazing. And how he happened to walk into your shop, right. of all of the all shops the shop. in the world. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Background music, please. Yes. <laughs> Swelling. And then about a year later, he called me, and he said the same thing happened to him in England. There was another collection, another um, uh, di- um, <laughs> someone that studied dialects, uh, had built a collection, and they came up for sale, and he happened to walk into a shop in... England, I'm not sure if it was London or not, and bought that. He had to call and tell me that. And he said that was the two collections in the in the world that he would have wanted to buy. That was it. So it was just a great, you know, it just kind of makes it all worthwhile. It must have, he must yeah. have done something good in his life. Yes. And it, yes. you know what? It seems to me like you, you must be doing something good in your life. And it might be the good work of having the bookshop here well, in the I community, so. making it a place for people to come. Do you it's have still fun? It's still fun. It, do you have customers that you've known since 1975, people that have been with you? Yes, there are a few been that with have you? been in. Some of them I don't remember from them, but they say, I used to come in when I was... <laughs> and well, they, people change, and they, like how they, they, they said, look changes. Yeah, well, and... <laughs> they, I mean, they were either students at the time and now have become regular and big book collectors. Um, the um, I was going to tell one other story <laughs> before I forget. <laughs> um, the... About again, about the middle 1980s, a woman came in the shop and asked for books by Jack Kerouac. And I said, Gosh, I only think I have a paperback or something in the back. And she said, Well, you, you know, I'm Jack Kerouac's first wife. And I knew enough. I'd read Kerouac, I knew his biography, and I knew that he had, they had lived in, in Detroit, in Gross Point, briefly. She was from Gross Point. It was Frankie. Kerouac or Edie Parker, also known as, and that's who it was. I knew enough that it was true, and she was a little, she was interesting. And we got to talking for a while, and she said, can I come in and 
bring in some things to show you and have a little, um, you know, reading like in the shop. And I said, that'd be a great idea. So she came in. We got maybe 20, 30 people. And she came in one evening and had brought in letters from Kerouac, paintings that he'd done, which I'd never heard of before. And I don't think anybody that I'd never heard of had been written about. She had paintings and all these stories about when they were living in New York uh, back in the 40s. And she also claimed that she had a, a novel that he had written when he was in the Merchant Marine during the war that had never been published. And she had the manuscript. And it was called The Sea is My Brother. But she could never find it. <laughs> but I don't, you know, it, it may have existed. She, and she, had, she actually, it was odd. And she walked in. She didn't really realize how famous he was, even though she had gotten letters from him. Up until he died, uh, but Wait, she. And what year was this, Jay? Was, that you said she walked in in the mid eighties. Mid eighties, but she had been kind of a recluse, and lived in Gross Point. Uh, still at her parent, I think she grew up uh, in Gross Point, and I, I got the impression that she was just kind of a, a recluse. And so not, she had gone to New York City, but that had oh, been, that was back in the forties, and that had been her time, yeah, sort of. So and she then was she an art returned and, and was and, a and, uh, So it was just. She just walked in the shop, and here was it. And that kind of, after that, she did tours and there had been conferences and things like that. But the first time she walked in the shop, and that was her kind of coming out. Yeah, he work. launched her basically. And, uh, <laughs> it was very exciting. And, uh, Is she? Do you know? Did she keep in touch with you, Jay? Is she for still? For a while, yeah. She came back. We did it twice, and then she she's been dead fifteen years now or so. But uh, uh, gosh, I wonder if anyone ever found that manuscript. Yes, I. You know. you know, there was some controversy about who got the material that she had because, uh, and I'm not even sure what happened to it. I've kind of lost track of it. But she also said that she got out when Jack Kerouac died, and he died in 67, I think it was, 68. And she had gotten a letter from him just before that, and he'd gotten into a fight. And a lot of people thought he just drank himself to death, which was probably partly true. But he'd gotten into a fight in a bar. And had gotten injured, and he said he ruptured a spleen or something, and that's maybe what would kill him. And uh, so she had that letter. It was probably the last letter she'd written. He'd written before he died. So wow! And so, so. they had kept in contact, even yeah, though she they kept in contact, and they divorced. There was still a closeness. But between. I don't think she'd really read many of his books or didn't know it was uh, it was odd in that respect but she was a real real deal <laughs> i guess that's that's actually how it does go in life you only yeah. know a part of a person sometimes right. isn't it even if you love that part mm -hmm. of them yeah yeah so i bet you just have a million of these stories <laughs> <Jay>. <laughs> I, well, I remember I brought my my freshman um, comp class yes, to your shop. Yes, I remember shop. that very well. And and some it was the first time for some of the students to have been in a a used bookshop. Like they didn't know, uh, which was strange to me. <laughs> well, actually, Doesn't everyone know? Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> but, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm a with what's happening to the book trade now, and a lot of shops are closing, and people are going online and things like that. And I think it's very important that there are bookshops, open bookshops that are on the street, and that's how people really get turned on to books and to use books and book collecting is by going into a bookshop and seeing what's available. I mean, a, hopefully a good bookshop. I mean, a, <coughs> you mean a, bo me. a, a bookshop 
that yeah, has right. a feel of its own, like your your yeah, place. Definitely, well, it's almost it's it's a character of yeah, its own, really. Where you have the expectation of hoping to find something, maybe that you didn't know exist. And I think sometimes when you look online, you kind of know what you want, but that serendipity of going into a bookshop and then and making that discovery and browsing, and. Uh, and the objects themselves, the, the artifacts, objects books. right? They're they're an artifact. There's something mm-hmm. about the the tactile relationship you can have with it, yes. and seeing them next to each other. Yes, that dis- oh, sense of discovery. Yes. All, what you're all saying, that. all that. Yeah, yes. um, I guess they try to do that online, don't they? Where they say people who've liked this book have also looked at, well. <laughs> but then it's you know <laughs> no, somebody's you know interested some... in Kierkegaard, but gardening because they yeah, just happen to buy a book for. It you sounds know. like that or <laughs> yeah. something. I don't yeah, know exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean nothing. Nothing's <coughs> wrong me. with a, a breadth of interests, but yes. it's not the same as when you're wandering around and and, no. and yeah. There's something about the physicality of a book, even oh, yes. like the Kindle. What do you think of those uh, Kindle books? <laughs> no. That was a, I, that was a bump set spike there for Jay I, Platt I, of Westside Bookshop. <laughs> he couldn't see it, but he did a thumbs down. And we really do need a, yes. a cam. I think video. they have their place, but they're never going to replace books. And there's, I mean, I, well, I hope that's true, at least. And I certainly, I, I, I just don't, actually, I think when they came out, they called it a portable reading device. And I said, well, that's what a book is. A book is a portable reading <laughs> device. And, I've and, always used it like and that. you kind of own, you own the book. And what's happened with uh, Amazon when they deleted what, uh, Orwell's 1984 because they didn't, they didn't own the copyright on it. And people got up in arms because they, they paid for this and then it was deleted and taken out. And I said, well, maybe Amazon had a right to do that, but it shows that they can do it. So you don't really own the book. Mm-mm. They can just take it away. So I'd much rather to have the book in hand. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yes. Because it won't, it won't disappear in, in no, some of in those some ways, but into the ether, space. right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so with, with those first books that you had as part of your, the collection, Jay, uh, that you, when you said, when you opened the shop, you came with the books, right. the guy came with some financing, you went to the bank. Right. Um, what was it like? Because those were books that you had collected. So that right. seems like that was the, the impetus for this, this book love and becoming a shop owner. Right. But what was it like parting with those books? Well, it's 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 hard sometimes. Some I kept on, you know, held on to, or but I I, I feel that a, a bookseller shouldn't be a collector. You have to make that decision. I think if you're competing against your customers, you shouldn't do that. I mean, I do collect books on books and my reference books. I have maybe two thousand bibliographies and reference books that I use. So I guess I collect those, and I always look for better copy. I mean. Uh, as a, I mean, I know some dealers will, will if they get two copies of a reference book, they'll sell the better one and, and keep the, uh, and keep just the reading copy. But I tend to do the other. <laughs> I'll yes. keep the best one because I do kind of collect those. And when I was looking and, online, I saw that you had helped um, with a Henry Miller bibliography. Is that? Oh yes. Is that, can oh. you talk about that? Well, uh, yeah. There's a guy in town named Roger Jackson who. Put together, actually, someone else had started it, but Roger really did all the work on it. Uh, probably the def- well, it is the definitive Henry Miller bibliography, and uh, for scholarly research. I'm not and sure the how like. much I did. I mean, I know I would show him some things. He was a very complete bibliography. I mean, all the different, not just the first editions, but all the different printings. I mean, it's a, it's a very thick book. I mean, it took every the tenth printing of Tropic of Cancer is in there, and all the different paperback editions. So. Um, and we sold it 
for a while. Uh, we were kind of the exclusive distributor uh, for a while. So we uh, did that. I, I, when was that? That must have been 15, 20 years ago or so. And I'm not, I, he probably still has some copies. We still have a few in, but <laughs> yes. And so, and so that was part of, do you think that was when you said that you were part of things in Ann Arbor, um, what you had opportunities to become part of things, was the political um, culture oh. and sort of like the, the counterculture, oh, uh, yeah. which would, Henry Miller might be Well, part that, of. Was, that was <laughs> earlier, but I, actually back in the late 60s, I lived out in a, uh, I wouldn't say a commune, really. But we called it the farm. It was out on Superior Road. And uh, uh, this was in 68, 69. And in the fall of 60, 1968, the hog farm. You ever heard of the hog farm? With Wavy Gravy and it was Hugh Romney. It was, it was a traveling commune. And they were here in Ann Arbor and got kicked out of town by Ben Sheriff Harvey. No, actually, I think he got, I think they came and stayed with us. In our, uh, we farm. had a big, yeah, in the farm, and there was maybe 40 people, kids, psychedelic bus, and the whole thing. And they, uh, and I think then Sheriff Harvey kicked him out. They had to come into town and then left. But it was quite a, it made the news and everything. It was quite a, quite a start. It, it was, it was, <laughs> it was the 60s. I mean, I'll stop there. How, how long was your hair, Jay? Oh, it was a ponytail. It was a <laughs> Oh, yeah. Super the long. bell bottoms and the whole bit. <laughs> you know, I always thought wavy gravy was a Ben and Jerry's flavor. <laughs> I don't know my history. No, it, was, it was an interesting time. <laughs> well, let's take yeah. a short break and then we'll, we'll come back. We'll talk about um, the interesting times of now for okay. bookshops, too. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Jay Platt, Westside Bookshop. We'll be back. <laughs>
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you've got WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel today on the program. Jay Platt from Westside Bookshop. Mm. Um, Jay, thanks again for being here. Um, My pleasure. Uh, yeah. While I think of it, thanks to Alex Belhodge for engineering for us. Um, as always, a, a complete gentleman and <laughs> audio genius. Um, and so the bookshop itself is in in the the um, the west the west side of town. It's on right. one thirteen West Liberty Street, uh, near Old Town. Yeah, um, very like just across the the street, you could throw mm-hmm. a stone, uh, but you wouldn't want to because no. <laughs> your yeah. shop has one of the first plate glass windows, I think, that yes, were put into oh, <laughs> in town. You've done your homework. <laughs> yes, it so is. So no it's... throwing of stones, please. Yeah. <laughs> that was the original glass, as far as I know. And, uh, and it was, I believe, it, it was kind of a classic 19th century mercantile architecture is what someone described. With those, in, with the, uh, the the arch, sort of the brick yes, uh, arches yes. and... Yeah, it, actually it's been, uh, it seems to be every week someone's outside taking pictures of the building. So it's great publicity <laughs> to be there. Actually it's been used for ads. I think Ford, some ad agency came from... Uh, uh, you know, and did a shoot out in front of the shop. They used the shop as a background, and um, you know, blocked off the street and everything. And and my one of my sisters in laws worked worked in advertising in in New York, and I told her about it, and she said, "Did you ask for a site fee?" And I said, "Site fee," and I said, "So I did, and I got you know, a few hundred dollars for just being there on a Sunday, which I went." <laughs> That's great. Wait, and your Sunday hours are noon to five. Noon to five on Sunday. We weren't at that point. We weren't open on Sundays. But this is back. This was twenty years ago or so. But. And about your your sign um, on the the outside, I love one of the first things when I moved to Ann Arbor was um, was seeing just your your bookshop. I was just so thankful somehow oh. to to see it there, and it was it's like the idea that you have of. A, of a beautiful bookshop, it oh. is. It comes true. Thank you. Thank and you. Yeah. and your your sign. Did you create that sign, Jay, with the open book? Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how long you've is the sign from 1975 as well? Uh, it, it's a. It, uh, I replaced it about 10, 15 years ago. It kind of it's wood, it's plywood, but it's been painted. But it's a, it's identical to the original one. <laughs> That's, yeah. I had the same painter do it again. Actually, a guy named John Copley, who. Uh, used to play with Commander Cody in the Lost Planet Airmen. He was her drummer back in the 60s. And he had a shop called Crow Hill Graphics down on the corner from me back then, or back in the 70s and 80s. And he did painting and stuff like that. And so he did the shop, win- uh, both the sign and the shop windows. So, which, so it was his design with the open book idea. Right. But, well, I think oh, I'd right. probably sketched it oh, out. Oh, you sketched it? Okay. He did. Yeah. I, I bet Liberty must have been um, very different well, than the, through the years. The if, downtown if you... has changed quite a bit. I mean, uh, and, and at Ann Arbor, the downtown in relation to the campus has changed a bit, too. When I was in school, I mean, you really didn't venture downtown except for the bars because you couldn't drink on campus anyplace. So you had to go down, I think, to P-Bell, which is gone, was the closest. And then there were other bars down including Mr. Flood's party, <laughs> which was opened in the late 60s, which is across across the street from me, which is now gone also. So I've seen, I think, almost all the businesses have changed since. There were maybe a handful, less than a handful, that are still there from the 70s. And, of course, a lot more restaurants than there used to be. <laughs> it was more of a retail area. 
what are some of the ones that are the same then, Jay? And do you like high five each other when you see oh. <laughs> one another on the on the street? Actually, the one uh, the other one has been there long, and I have his Vogel's Lock Shop, and it's the next block over from me. And I, once a week, I still get people coming in asking, "What happened to the lock shop?" And I said, "One block over, same place. One block over." So people need so you, they, you guys to be grounded, I suppose. Yeah, so they got. <laughs> Get their bearings. Give their, I get directions. And, and a, a couple of jeweler shops, and that's probably about it. That have, Everything else has changed. Do, do you have um, a close relationship with the other bookshops in town? Yes. Jay? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a pretty congenial group. We try to we generally get along. <laughs> and uh, and I been... think it's generally true within the trade that it's a, I think in one sense, it was probably true, more true before the Internet, <laughs> before uh uh, I, I got the feel. My feeling is it was more congenial before that because everyone kind of knew each other. I mean, it's a relatively small profession. I mean, uh, depending on how you define what a bookseller is, but I think people that are really doing it full time and really make their living as an antiquarian bookseller are probably only three or four thousand in the country that really do it. And and to be an antiquarian bookseller, that's very different than having a bookshop that sells um, new and used books, for example. Well, yeah, or an antiquarian. I mean, that, that's, a, that's kind of a. Uh, I've heard many, many different <laughs> definitions of it. Some people say, well, it's any book that's gone has increased in value over its new price. But uh, some say a book is over. 50 years old or 100 years old. I, there's no exact definition because there are a lot of moder- what we call modern first editions and that's that are really aren't that old. They've become fairly valuable, and that's considered part of the antiquarian book trade and, of course, goes back to the 15th century uh, in terms of the printed book. So it's really uh, the book trade, the, the used and rare book trade, covers a whole you know, 500 years, 500 plus years of, of printing. Since movable time. So it's any, I mean, as a new bookstore, you're limited to what's in print. But a used bookstore or, you know, antiquarian shop, is really the whole history of printing, the whole history of books are, are, are theoretically available to you. How do you find your books? Uh, well, there are many, I don't have one big source. Some people think I have this, you know, there's a big central warehouse where all the dealers get their books. So. That would be so boring. <laughs> yes. The, the fun, actually, the, the fun part of the business is buying. I mean, that's, but you have to sell some to kind of <laughs> pay the rent and everything. But the fun part is just because every day I'm seeing things I've never seen before. And I've been doing it for 35 plus years. Like what? Um, what, what did um, you see yesterday, Jay? Oh, oh gosh. I Sorry. Can't no, remember. <laughs> yeah. You got me What there. did you have for breakfast? I hate <laughs> yes. questions like that. What's on your but What's on your nightstand? <laughs> there's some book that I just haven't seen before. But anyway, you answer, answer to your question about where the books come from. I, I mean, people do bring them in and sell. But I go to estate sales, uh, book sales. Um, I buy from we buy from each other other dealers occasionally. And and with that, would you do that if, for example, for the Arctic or for the Antarctica yeah. to expand your collection because people know that maybe you have a well, yeah. I mean, you have an expertise in a certain area, so you can buy. It used to be easier to do that than it is now because now any dealer can look something up on the internet, and everyone it tends to uh, it's a little harder to buy in that that respect. Actually, the best books actually come from. Buying estates, you know, collections, uh, uh, people moving or dying or, or whatever, settling in a state. And usually the best books come from that. 
uh, because they're larger. Yeah, groups. large collection. They generally. How many books? And if you go like on average, if you go to an estate sale, and you, do you just bid and buy the whole thing, Jay? Oh, and then generally no. I mean, oh, okay. when generally I, I I pick what I can. If I'm going to an estate sale or, or I'm asked to come look at a collection, I tend to buy what I think I can use and. Have you have you ever thought of something like not known something and remembered it and then thought oh, I should have gotten that oh, and yeah. it was gone or something like that? Because <laughs> oh, yes. I, I would be sort of I think almost a nervous uh, ninny like coming out with like bags and bags just yeah. in case or yeah. you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've you know, passed something up which I should have gotten, but uh, but generally it's it's experience. You find you. you, you 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 kind of have a sense what you should buy and what you shouldn't, what you shouldn't. Well, yeah, not enough about regrets. What yes. what, what do you what were some of the? Do you, can you think of any off the top of your head where they were the finds where you just thought, oh, Eureka? Oh, you know whether it was an estate sale oh my, or no. where you found somewhere. Oh, there are a number of those. I, I I did years ago, bought a photography album, at a sale, and I probably shouldn't mention the name of the sale because, but. It was in. It, oh, was, go at, on. it was at a book sale, <laughs> local. <laughs> uh, but they had it on a on a on a table of their, their special table. I mean, the general books. But then they had a special, and it was, um, and they had it marked at fifteen dollars. And it was a big album, a uh, big oblong album. They had photographs of, of mountaineering views of the Alps, and I knew they were early, and. Um, and I said, boy, this is probably worth a couple hundred dollars. And this was in the late 70s. And uh, that, so I bought it. And I started doing some research on it. And and it turned out to be worth six to $7,000 then. And I, thought, and I sold the photographs individually. And I wish I had them back because they're probably worth 10 times that now. But it, was, but it was just one of those, and it had been there sitting on the table for half an hour and nobody had picked it up. So it's... One of those serendipity. I mean, that kind of keeps us going. It doesn't certainly doesn't happen very often. But, but that's also a you've you've gathered knowledge as you yeah. go along, and that's yeah. you play your hunches it, and you're able to see something that other people couldn't see. Right. Yeah, I mean, think of this, some others. Um, well, I'll think of one in a okay. little bit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, well, you wanted to also mention um, that that there's going to be an antiquarian. Book fair coming. Oh yes, up. I was going to talk about uh, well, book fair first. Book uh, fairs yes. in general. Uh, one aspect of the book trade is that there are gatherings of booksellers. I'm going to call them antiquarian book fairs, and uh, the major ones, the biggest, largest ones in the country, are put on by an organization called the Antiquarian Booksellers Association of America, the ABAA, and they put on shows in New York and San Francisco, Los Angeles, Boston. And we've done some in Chicago and Washington, but uh, New York and, and the, well, New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles and Boston are the main ones now. That's great because I've done them all at various times. But I, it gets you out of your own region right, too, right? Right, and, it's, and they bring a lot of international dealers, European dealers. These are the big, especially San Francisco and and New York are the really the, the largest ones. And um, but there are also local fairs, regional book fairs, and uh, the one we have one here in Ann Arbor which is generally in May, the middle of May. And in the last few years, it's been in conjunction with the Ann Arbor Book Festival, but it's always held in the ballroom of the Michigan Union. And we get about 40 book dealers coming from as far away as Minnesota and Tennessee. Um, 
I think we went in Virginia, that area. And we went to deal with from Montreal last year. So, do, so what do could, people do? Do people bring like, their best books or right, something that showcase? Right, they tend that, to bring uh, their better, more interesting books, what they really want to be known for. And uh, so it, it's, 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 someone has described a book fair as being, that's the best bookshop in the world at that particular time. Because all these dealers have brought their best books, so you have... So it's a, it's a and it's a great way to go if you're interested at all in in books. A way to go to talk to dealers and see a lot of different uh, because nobody no dealer is the same. Everyone has different ideas about how things you know what they're going to bring, what they think is important, and what they like to talk about. So it's a great way to meet dealers and be introduced to the to books. If somebody wants to start this now, what would you say to them? Start a shop of their own. Good luck. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would say it'd a be nutshell. a lot harder. <laughs> it'd be a lot harder today, I think, to start in the book business. Um, it's kind of hard to describe how because it was such an adventure doing it when you and how you discover and doing. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to put it in good word in, in words that uh, some of the well maybe it's just because I've been doing it so long. The feeling's a little bit different. And it is now, but I think it would be harder with the internet. It's just not, not as exciting. Before that, you were discovering things in a different manner, and uh, I think too many people rely on looking things up on the internet as opposed to doing, um, getting out and handling the books more. <laughs> and, and 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 so that would, so you mean actually going out and looking? Like, would you travel further than the the estate sales around here, Jay? When oh, you were yeah. looking, would you go to? Is that part of the oh, adventure I travel quite that a bit, you're, yeah. you're thinking mm-hmm. of? Yeah. Like, how I'm, far have you been? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I've been out. Oh, actually, one of the best collections I bought. Well, actually, two of the best collections I bought. One was in Connecticut. These were both polar collections. Polar okay. collections. Yes. Great. Yes. And one was out in Connecticut. And actually, the guy I bought it from, he'd been a customer of mine. I'd been sending him catalogs. And he decided to sell his collection. And... Uh, and he, he had been a mountain climber also. He climbed with uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, and he'd been to the Antarctic himself, had led kind of a small private expedition to the Antarctic. And, uh, and That's what great. you need. That's what I need. <laughs> and then he, it was a great, fantastic collection. And he also, which he wasn't selling, he also collected different editions of Wind in the Willows, which is one of my favorite books. <laughs> and he had a whole bookcase. Here was this mountain, you know, this adventurer and... Wind in the willows. He's a little sightless so, mole in a rowboat, yes. right, with a frog. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was we we communicated. <laughs> it was a great collection. Another one was out in Colorado, uh, in Boulder. Another customer was selling his polar collection, and this was actually right after it was two thousand and two thousand and two, and we drove out. And my wife and I drove out to pick up the collection, and and. Uh, it was a guy who had been a scientist, or it was a scientist who was still later, but he 